Good morning. It's good to see everybody. It's good to be back. We're glad that you're here, and I hope you got a bulletin as you're coming in. Uh, we have a lot of announcements that need to be made this morning, and a lot that's coming up that's in your bulletin. So I'll share a few things, and you might want to write a few things down, or we'll send them out each week in our weekly blast so that you'll have them. But uh, first of all, let me just say welcome to those of you if you're visiting with us. We're glad you're here. And there is a welcome card, a prayer card in the pew in front of you. It's a blue card, and we would appreciate it if you fill that out. Let us know that you were here, and if there's any way we can minister to you, we would be glad to reach out and minister to your family. But it's also a prayer card on the back. So please fill that out if you want us to have uh, information for prayer requests. If you don't want it in the bulletin, just tell us. Please don't put it in the bulletin, and we'll continue to pray for you. But if you want it in the bulletin, just make sure you let us know that. Call the office or write on there that it's okay to print it, and we'll be glad to put that in the bulletin for you as well. Um, but before we go uh, farther and share some announcements, let's take just a moment and go to the Lord in prayer. Uh, I wrote it out to you here from Second Chronicles. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sin and heal their land. My eyes will be open and, and go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you again that you have called us. Uh, that you have brought us to yourself, that you have sent your son, Jesus Christ, to cover our sins, to prepare us and to clothe us in righteousness, that, Lord, we would be made ready to serve you and to spend eternity with you. Bless us now as we serve this morning, as we open our hearts, our minds, to learn about you, to glorify you, and to worship you. And we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, let me just say, uh, for a way of announcements real quickly, before we begin worshiping together and call us together, in your announcements, I was told to remind the men right after Sunday school, there is the men's chorus. So men, right after Sunday school, if you'll come back up here, they'll spend some time together going over stuff in the chorus. You'll also notice the announcements that are in the bulletin. There's several things that I won't try to go over each and every one of those. I do want to highlight a few things. One, if you haven't signed up for things, it doesn't mean you cannot come. Um, we always have signups. We try to get them out there. But for example, if you haven't signed up for the hoedown or you forget to sign up for the hoedown, uh, it helps us when you sign up because we know what to expect. But we don't want you to think if you didn't sign up, you can't come. So this coming week is the hoedown. If you haven't signed up yet, we still want you to, to know that you're welcome to come. And it's true about all of our ministries, whether the ladies' ministries, you're signing up for events. It, it helps to have uh, information. But if, if you still want to come and you just weren't able to sign up for one reason, we want you to still come and be a part of these ministries. Um, the, the shoebox collection is there in your bulletin. Today's the day to pick up your box, get your information. Some of you may want to do the box and bring it back. Some of you may just want to send money and follow it online. Some of you do it at home. But we do have a collection here on the 12th and the 19th of November. So please pick up all your supplies beginning today. They're in the foyer. You can get box to take home and all the information about what goes in it. And we'd love to have you do that. Uh, also, I need to share with you uh, the 19th of November, we'll put that in your bulletin, but I wanted to begin to tell everybody who's planning events ahead of time that a Sunday night service here at 6 p.m., it is the time that we will have our missionaries from France, Natasha and Callie here. They're going to be speaking to us, and so we want to invite you to put it on your calendars. They're going to be here to share with us that evening. Um, and so we, we have kids programs and youth programs going on, but we also want to do that so that they can come 
and listen and share with us. So if you haven't heard from them in a while, they're serving in France and uh, up through Italy and other places as well. But they'll be able to share with you. But mark that on your calendar, the 19th of November. And then also, um, let me share this. Uh, David Frierson, who is coming as our assistant pastor to help us, uh, will be here in November the 5th, hopefully, if all goes well. And so when the session met, we'd like to make a quick change and get, get us out hopefully a few weeks ahead. Rather than doing the fifth Sunday night fellowship on the 29th of October, we're going to move that back a week. And so those of you preparing, let us know if it's a conflict, but we will, first Sunday in November, we will not have the Sunday school because we'll have a fellowship. We'll just have a time to greet David and Suzette, his wife. They'll be here, and they'll begin serving with us faithfully for the next year and some as we go forward determining just what it is our church needs as we go forward in the future. So please mark that down. November 5th is the planned day that we'll have a fellowship time right after service so you can meet them and fellowship and greet them as well. Uh, and then finally, I know the deacons are meeting this Thursday. Deacons, if you will, put that on your calendar at 7 this Thursday. And elders, we've talked about it before. We're going to be meeting with the deacons, but I'd like to come at 6.30, just as our normal time, so we can do a few things. So elders, this Thursday, I'll send out a called meeting. But uh, if you're available to be there, we're going to meet with the deacons to, to minister and help them on some issues as well. So other than that, there's lots going on. Uh, we want you to be a part of it. And uh, we encourage you to plug in all that you can. But for now, let's continue as we worship. Let me call us together. Uh, it's exciting to be back. I say thanks to everyone who allowed us to go and spend some time with my mother and family out in Kansas. It was a wonderful trip. We did get a chance to see her. And uh, just pray the Lord will continue to, to bless her and help her through her uh, time as she's working through her medicines. But thank you for letting us go. It was an honor and a blessing, and so we're excited to be back and be a part of family as well. But I invite you to stand as I call us to worship as I read from Revelation chapter 5. I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped him. Let's do that this morning as we worship him together as we sing Hallelujah, Thine the Glory. Hymn number 179.
Amen. You may be seated and keep your bulletin open as we continue to worship together. We've been sharing together throughout the Westminster uh, larger catechism together. This morning we're dealing with the eighth commandment, and so I'll ask the question or read the question, and if you'll join me in sharing together the answers, you'll notice if you flip the page, there's quite a bit, and I thought about condensing it and just putting the Jerry Strait version, but I didn't. And so if you will join me as we work through what the catechism teaches us about the importance of why we have the Eighth Commandment. And so if you would join me, question 141 says, what is the Eighth Commandment? The Eighth Commandment is... What does the Eighth Commandment require? The Eighth Commandment requires us to act truthfully faithfully and justly in our contractual and business relationships with our fellow human beings so that we give to all what they deserve. We are to make restitution for anything we have unlawfully acquired from its rightful owner. We should give and lend freely according to our ability and the needs of others. We must moderate our judgment will, and inclinations about worldly goods. We must exercise prudence in the acquisition, maintenance, use, and disposition of the things that we need and are appropriate to sustain us humanly and that match our condition in life. We should find something lawful to do in life and work hard at it. We should be frugal, and we should avoid unnecessary lawsuits and should not become liable by putting up security for others or by similar commitments. Finally, we must do our best by all just and lawful means to acquire, preserve, and increase our own and others' money and possessions." just reminds me that if someone's ever said, I've never broken the commandments, man, you must be doing well, because there is so much that is expected for those of us who are serving righteously. Question 142, what particular sins does the Eighth Commandment forbid? In addition to failing to do what is required, the Eighth Commandment forbids theft, robbery, kidnapping, and receiving stolen goods, fraud, dishonest scales or measures, removing boundary markers, injustice or bad faith in our contractual relationships or trust agreements, oppression, extortion, usury, bribery, harassing lawsuits, and unjust expropriation and dispossession of others' land hoarding goods to increase their price, illegal work or activities, and all other unjust or sinful ways of taking, withholding, or enriching ourselves from what belongs to others. Avarice, excessive attachments to or display of our worldly goods, allowing ourselves to become distracted from trusting God in the way that we acquire, maintain, and use worldly goods, envying the prosperity of others, and also laziness, extravagance, 
wasteful gambling, and all other ways that needlessly jeopardize our money and possessions and defraud ourselves of the use and comfort of the things God has given us. Man, what an amazing feat that is put before us. Summarized once before by so many that said, it's not just how we spend our money, but how we make our money that truly brings glory to God. And so I encourage you, whatever it is, uh, I know we live in a world that says, oh, I I work for cash and I avoid taxes and I don't have to pay these things. I'm not here to be a petty part, but just keep in mind, it's how you make the money is as important as how you spend the money is what God requires of us. And so it's a high, high calling as Christians on how we are to use the money in this society. Let me take a moment, lead us to the Lord in prayer, and if you'll join me in the Lord's prayer in just a moment. Heavenly Father, I do pray this morning for our congregation. Lord, I I pray that you would uh, just reach down and bring healing to the so many who are going through treatment. Lord, we have so many who have cancer. We have so many who have had surgeries. We have so many who in these bodies are ailing and, and needing help. Lord, a reminder that these bodies here will one day be renewed. But in this world and at this time, they're wasting away. Help us not to find our, our value in these bodies, but that we find our worth in worship with you, that we find our value that we've been created in your image. Lord, I do pray that you'll sustain us through these times, that you'll help us overcome the obstacles that we face. Lord, that you'll bind us together as a family, that we can serve alongside one another, for each other, and to each other. The Lord, we can bring about the glory that's due your name as people see us, as they see the church working together, serving alongside one another. Lord, this morning I also pray that you'll give direction to those who want to serve you. Lord, that you would just impress on their hearts and minds where it is that you want them to serve, whether it's in missions or a new job, a new calling. Lord, wherever it is, Uh, that you're placing us, let us know that it's you that's calling us there. It's our place to be able to serve you wherever and whenever it is so that we can bring glory to your name. Lord, all these things we know that we have not earned your pleasures. We don't deserve your forgiveness and cleansing. And Lord, we could never make it on our own, but only through your son, Jesus Christ, are we able to spend eternity with you. And Lord, it's because of him that we come, that we gather together and worship. It's because of him that we come together and pray as one, as you taught us in scripture saying, our father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. At this time, I'm going to ask if our ushers would please come forward this morning as we take up this morning's offering.
If you'll remain standing as we confess our sins together and then prepare to worship together, we'll be singing All I Have is Christ. And then in your hymn book, we will be singing Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. If you want to turn there and have those ready, we'll sing them back to back. But if you would, let's confess our sins together before the Lord. Most gracious Father, we confess that we have sinned in many ways against you. We confess that we have not always trusted in you. We confess that we have idols in our hearts and continue to serve them. We confess that we have misused your name. We confess that we have not kept the Sabbath holy. We confess that we have not honored our parents. We confess that we have not respected life nor treated others as you have commanded us. Therefore, we beg of you, O Heavenly Father, that you would graciously forgive us all these sins. Help us to walk only in your ways and live according to your will. Through Jesus Christ, your dear Son, our Savior, we pray. Amen. We find assurance of pardon and grace throughout Scripture here in Romans 4. It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and was raised for our justification. To believe in Jesus Christ is where we find assurance and pardon. That's all we need is Jesus Christ. So let's worship together as we begin. All I have is Christ.
you may be seated. If you have your Bibles with you, would turn to the book of Mark where we have been studying. Uh, it's a wonderful opportunity for us to continue to see Mark's perspective on the ministry of Jesus and what he's been doing. And this morning we have just a short uh, section in the transition of Jesus' ministry as he moves from Capernaum and around the Sea of Galilee up to his hometown. And what it comes to you this morning is the simple question of who is this Jesus? What I mean by that is it's in the setting of homecoming. I don't know about today. I know in our day and age when we speak of homecoming, it's everybody that's ever been a part of the church comes back for homecoming. I know down in North Carolina when I was first in the ministry, uh, homecoming was huge, and the church would plan the whole year by contacting all the previous members and attenders, and they would set up tents, and when you came to homecoming, it was an all day of every person who'd ever walked through the doors of that church come back and see what's happened at our church. And I know schools do the same thing. Some of you are celebrating, I hate to say it, your 30th homecoming or class reunion. Some of you, your 40th. I'd hate to say some of you are doing your 50th. Um, I've always prayed for my 50th wedding anniversary. I'm not so sure my 50th homecoming. Um, things change over time. And when you get to your own homecoming, sometimes it's always those questions of one or the other, which is exactly what's happening to Jesus. When you get to that homecoming party, there's always two different statements that are made. One, I can't believe he turned out like that. He was such a good kid. He was like the leader of our class. He was like the one that was always on top of things. And look at him now. I mean, how could that happen to him? The other side of the coin is always, wow, what happened to him? You know, it's the side of, I never thought he'd become anything at all. You know, this is the one who everybody always watched in the hall, sat in the corners from the preschool classes and was pushed outside and never got to go on recess and in the high school days, detentions, and yet now you look at him and think, wow, what has happened? Well, that's what's taking place with Jesus right now at his homecoming. It's, it's not the celebration that they're expecting him to come, but Jesus shows up at a little town called Nazareth. Do you remember that? It's not the town he was born in. Do you remember where he was born? Bethlehem, but he is the Nazarene because that's where they moved and that's where he grew up in a little village. And so I'm just giving you a little bit of the history there as we get into it. Nazareth was a town nestled in the side of a cliff. If you've ever been there and been to Israel and done it, you could probably know more than I have. I've never been there. I can only tell you what archaeology finds in the pictures, but it's nestled in the side of a hill and it only covers about 60 acres, about 500 people. We're not talking a metropolitan city like Paul of Tarsus would go to and share the gospel. We're going back to a small little village. And when Jesus shows up, this is what Mark tells us in chapter 6 takes place. Jesus went out from there and he came into his hometown and his disciples followed him. And when the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue and many listeners were astonished saying, where did this man learn these things? And what is this wisdom that has been given to him and such miracles as these performed by his hands? Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? And are his sisters not here with us? And they took offense at him. And Jesus said to them, a prophet is not dishonored except in his hometown and among his own relatives 
in his own household. And he could not do any miracle there except that he had laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he, Jesus, was also amazed at their unbelief. And he was going around to the villages teaching. Who is this Jesus? Give me just a few moments this morning to answer that question according to the questions that were asked here. First of all, let me give you the summary again that Jesus is here back in his hometown doing what he's always done according to Luke. And that is when he was there on the Sabbath day, he would head to the synagogues. It would be the place that he would go. It would be the place that he would stand up and teach. Even when he was younger, people were amazed at what he had done. Synagogues were different than what we have today in the Protestant circles of our church. Back in the days of the synagogue, when the rabbi was there, he was the trained one. He would oversee the things, but he didn't necessarily do all the teaching. It was necessary at times, and even common in other times, that the adult men of the synagogue would just stand up and share. I used to have a person like that in Novi, Michigan, Dr. Brian Riley and his wife, San Quinette. They were an African-American couple that decided to come out of Detroit, out to the suburbs to be a part of our church. And it was always nice to have them because we slowly had Asian couples that would come and Hispanic couples. And pretty soon Detroit kind of moved out to be with us. And it was a wonderful fellowship. But Dr. Riley would always come to me. And I, I knew it was coming because he'd kind of nonchalantly come up to me. And he'd tap me on the shoulder and say, hey, pastor, do you mind if I share something this morning? And the first time he did that to me, I thought, well, what in the world are you going to share? You know, it was going through my mind. But he would just stand up on the floor for just a moment. And he would say, hey, I just want to take a moment and share with the congregation. It would always be something short, sweet, and encouraging. And at the end, he would just simply say, and all God's people said what? Amen. And it was a blessing. It was never another sermon. It was never a, you know, a correction of what someone said or, a, you know, out to get somebody. But it was just a time to share. And that was the synagogue the synagogue was the place people would stand up and talk about the things that were in Scripture and the laws and how they should be observed and kept. And this is what Jesus was doing. And so the scenario takes us to the point where all of a sudden we get this scenario of Jesus in his hometown where he grew up. About 500 people, they probably knew everything about him. And he starts teaching and they realize something's different. And how would you take it? In our case, sometimes we might say things like, well, what, what makes you think you're better than we are now? Oh, you went off to college and learned a little stuff and come back home now and you're better than we are? You can stand up and use all these fancy words that you're talking about now here in the synagogue that none of us understand. You now think that all those things you did as a kid don't matter anymore and that we don't know who you really are? You could hear the rumbling because they were frustrated but the fact that this man would show up, someone they had known, and yet everybody is attentive and wanting to know more. And the attention now turns to him rather than the rabbi or the men of the church. He's stealing the show. So Mark tells us the story, what happens. Here's what he says. So as he began to teach them, they were astonished. Circle that word there. That's very close to the word out in preaching and sharing your faith. It's not exactly the same. It's the word ekplaiso. It's the word that is translated to be greatly amazed. There are several words that are used for amazement. But this is the word that comes out in its normal root form, ekplaiso, that simply says these people were so amazed at him. And why? Because listen to what he is saying. They were astonished because where did this man learn these things? 
I know he didn't study along with Paul under Gamaliel, and I know he didn't get it from our rabbi, and I know he's not the one been back home teaching with us, and how is this man who is uncredentialed in the synagogue teaching be able to have so much authority in the truth? I could ask myself the same question when it comes to Presbyterianism. For those of you who have not been in Presbyterianism your whole life, I grew up in a Baptist background, and the only thing necessary to preach in the Baptist church was to be called by God. It didn't matter where you were from or what you were with. If you were called by God, you were able to preach. And so the, the benefit of that was you had a lot of great preachers that you didn't know you had. The downside of that is you heard sermons that didn't make sense sometimes from one week to the next because it just depended on what was on their heart and mind as to what you got. We used to call those soapbox sermons. And in Presbyterianism, it's a little overdone. In Presbyterianism, it's always been the slow and steady purity and peace of the church. You don't want anyone preaching who hasn't been licensed who hasn't been through a process of examination with their session, who hasn't gone on and been credentialed by a seminary and knows the languages of the Hebrew and the Greek, and so that when messages are taught, they're taught the truth of the Scriptures. And folks, the problem with that is twofold, or I should say there's two sides to this. One side is, folks, you miss out on a lot of good preaching because there's a lot of good men who preach the gospel and do a great job at it that aren't credentialed and therefore not licensed and therefore not preaching in Presbyterian churches. The good side of that is, and prayerfully, that the church has a consistency of going through Scripture and giving you the truth, and so you don't hear a sermon one week when a word is used one way and the next week when the word is used another, or in one sermon that is preached the text one way and in the next week another. And so the, the thing that Jesus is facing right now is he showed up in a synagogue and he's caught in the middle of those people who are astonished because he has this wisdom that most time would only come from those who are studying philosophy or the Greek languages or getting into the education realms and the rabbis who had spent years and yet he's teaching with the wisdom that is above theirs. And so they ask this question, where does he get this stuff? How in the world does this Man, we know, we'll see unfold, able to do this. The question could be asked this way. Where did he study his theology? And folks, I want to answer that question for you this morning because the truth of it is, why would the word of God incarnate need a degree in theology? You see, theology is the study of God and who he is and how to relate to him and what his characters are about. Can you imagine that they're so caught up in the study of theology that they missed the Godology that was right there with them? They missed the one who was the word made flesh. They missed the one who was God in the flesh. They were so caught up in who he was and where he had been in his life as a child that they had missed the fact that there was nothing more for Jesus to grow in a relationship with the Father. The oneness that he experienced was an amazing oneness. It was the kind that when he prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, he was able to say, Father, let them be one as you and I are one. The relationship that existed that he was now expounding on here in the synagogue was something none of them could understand. It was a wisdom above and beyond them. Here's what Paul said when he tried to expound on it. 
1 Corinthians 2, he said, My message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in the demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of mankind, but on the power of God. Yet we do speak of a wisdom, a wisdom not of this age, nor the rulers of this age, but we speak God's wisdom in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God predestined before the ages to our glory, the wisdom which none of the rulers of this age has understood, for if they had understood it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. That's the kind of wisdom that Jesus was sharing. And he wasn't doing it by preaching out of other texts. He was doing it by simply sharing the truth of who he was. And so this morning, the question that you might have is, where did he get this wisdom? And the answer is, because he is theology. He is the one who reveals to us what the truth is. We don't need to have any further education of wisdom about him. We have said many times before in preaching conferences, it's wonderful to do your study on all that our forefathers have learned about the truths of God. But those truths of our forefathers should never replace the truths of Scripture. It's one thing to quote, as I have said many times before, John Calvin or Owens or even Haddon Robinson in preachings or your favorite speaker. It's nice to have those out there to say what they say. But folks, if you're going to speak about a relationship with God, why not just learn the Scriptures? Why not just read what we have in our scripture. So all of a sudden we realize that Jesus comes to this relationship and the people are concerned and they ask another question. We're astonished with this man and we know this. Why? Because he was this carpenter among us. Do you know? Write this down. It's an amazing story. You're the carpenter today. How many of you have called a carpenter lately? Well, let me back this up a little bit. How many of you have ever called a contractor? to do something. Yeah, isn't it funny? We don't have carpenters today. We actually do, and they're fabulous with wood, and they work well with wood. In this case, it's also with some with stone. This is the word technon, not child for that, but technon is the word for a master carpenter who works with wood and even stone. This is the guy that grew up probably alongside with Joseph and probably alongside others that they had been around and helped them build some of their homes that they lived in and put together the mortar or the mud or the rooftops. And they'd seen this guy work in the place and work with the wood to put together the things they needed for the cradles or what was necessary. This is the carpenter. How could he speak with such authority when he was just a technon? which is actually the word, if you think about it, in English it's translated over to architect. So Jesus was not just a carpenter. They saw him as a what? An architect. A very good carpenter. One who could work not only with wood, but as history and archaeology would show us, more likely even with stone, which would begin to make sense of why they were puzzled. Because this same person that was their carpenter, they got so caught up on this working with stone and what he could craft with stone that they actually missed the chief cornerstone. The people who knew this guy, who grew up working with stone... They couldn't believe that he could be more than stone. And so we find, as we begin to see later as the text goes on, the importance of this architect, that the people 
missed this one working with stone and stumbled over what was known as the chief cornerstone. They still saw him as the son, it says here, of Mary. I'll let you do your technical study, but there is so much debate on why he is called the son of Mary here. Joseph is probably gone. We don't know. But history would always identify the children with their father. And here you have to ask, well, maybe they're just identifying him with his mother because his father is gone. Or they still remember like they've been doing that this is the illegitimate son that was born out of wedlock and didn't have a father. And this was the child of Mary. Let's just keep him in his place. This is the illegitimate child that was a carpenter that worked with stone. How could he be so wise? And we find ourselves wrestling each and every day with the same jealousies and bitternesses of our own hearts. Why do others get treated so well? Why did they get the right to be promoted? What makes them so much better? I'm the one that helped them through it all. I'm the one that gave them the knowledge they needed. I'm the one that did the work behind the scenes. They were jealous. They were mad. They were envious of this wisdom that came only from God because he is God. He is the one who was with God. He was God. He was in the beginning. He didn't need anything else. He was in their presence modeling what they had already seen for at least 25 years. And they never recognized why he was so good. And then all of a sudden we realize he even called out his family. If you didn't know this verse, you've never read it before, it's an amazing story because one of the big issues in the Protestant Reformation was the difference in belief that the Protestant church doesn't worship Mary as in the Catholic church still wrestles with that because Mary is a perpetual virgin. And yet the scriptures tell us that Mary had a bunch of other what? Children. That's been an ongoing soapbox for so many to work with to try to figure out, well, maybe they were half children and maybe someone else came in the picture that we don't know about and maybe they just took them in because they needed them because she had to have no other children but Jesus. And that's not what the Bible says. So all of a sudden we realize as the story unfolds, this carpenter who obviously is one that everybody else is trying to figure out where this wisdom comes from. And then they realize this, just as they had missed the cornerstone for the sake of working with stone. So they were looking for a father in the flesh when in the flesh dwelt the father. The father of all. In the flesh. And they were criticizing him for where was his earthly, fleshly father. And maybe it doesn't make sense to us today. And maybe we find ourselves in the same place that it just doesn't make sense. How could anybody be born like that and not have an earthly father and be formed in a womb and come from heaven and actually be God in the flesh? That just is too much for me to imagine. That's, that's almost scandalous. That's embarrassing for any educated person to believe that. 
in one of the conferences that was made years ago by some of our lead speakers, put some of us in our place because one of them, who has now gone to be with the Lord, who has written many books, I won't say his name, put on a conference one time and shared in the middle of downtown Detroit that he couldn't believe any serious pastor would believe in a literal six-day creation. I felt about that tall. <laughs> I thought, well, any serious pastor that would believe in a literal six-day creation, I guess I would have to say, I'm sorry, I just believe the Bible. Oh, you can wrestle with how it goes out. But we have that same kind of analogy here. We wrestle with the, the stones when we miss the cornerstone. We wrestle with the flesh when we miss the Father. We wrestle with the scriptures when we miss the truths. Everything that's happening here is why these people have questions. Where are you when it comes to answering those questions? Is it just too absurd to have a God who loves us enough that he would send his only begotten son? That he himself would die on the cross in the flesh? That he would wrap us in the clothing of righteousness like he was wrapped in the swaddling of clothes that he'd be raised in an environment and into a village that would never give him credit so that you and i could have it all is that just too scandalous for you to believe is it too embarrassing to stand with jesus on that well that's what happens here well how do we know that well look what happens it wasn't only that the Jesus was the word of God, was God in the flesh, but they took offense to it. Listen to what it says at the end of the verse. It says they call him out because of his mother, and then they took offense. Circle that word, put it down. That is the word scandalizo in the Greek. It is where we get the word what? Scandalous. It is the word that is actually used that they, they were scandalized by this, that this man would actually stand up, speak about being a cornerstone, speak about working with this way, speak about a wisdom that we don't have, doesn't even have a father. This is scandalous to let this in our presence. That's the word. The same word for stone that has been rejected by the stonemasons with flaws. They call those bricks that are not fit for service scandalon. Jesus was scandalon. He was unfit to be used. And as those stones that those masons went through and rejected... Now you realize why Psalm 118 says, the stone that the builders rejected became the chief cornerstone. He was scandalous. Almost embarrassing to take a stand that someone could love us enough, that there would be a sin that would keep us out of heaven, that we couldn't make it there on our own, that God wouldn't allow everyone in because of our goodness, that we were born with a sin, a nature that keeps us deprived from the truth of eternity. That's, this is scandalous. Who could believe such a thing? Jerry, I know who you are. I know where you were raised. I knew how you grew up. I know the decisions you've made. I know the choices you've made. Oh, but God's going to let you in heaven just because he loves you. He covers you with his sin and his righteousness covers your sin and prepares you to spend eternity just because you have faith. Go ahead, shake your head. Yeah, 
That, yeah, that's it. And I know, and people want to laugh at me, and people want to mock me. I mean, you spend a career telling people about a faith, that things happen because of a faith, that this person has to be believed in, and all this is just wisdom that I don't even understand? Yeah. And that's what happens with Mark. He quickly brings us to the point. Isaiah 53 even says, it was the one that was despised, chosen by God, yet despised and rejected by man. In his own hometown, they couldn't see him for the father in the flesh because they held against him the fact that he didn't have a father in the flesh. And therefore, their unbelief haunts them. Are you ashamed of Jesus? I'm not going to bring him up in my business. I'm not going to talk to him at my school. I'm not going to talk about that in class. There's no way I would bring that up in this area. Can you imagine what these people would do to me if they knew I was a Christian? Could you imagine if I turned and walked away because I don't believe in how they're treating other people? I could lose my job if I brought that up. We live in a world embarrassed of Jesus. But they weren't the only ones amazed. Look at what it says. Jesus said to them, I'm without honor here. I'm paraphrasing in my own hometown. But he could not do anything there because he had laid his hands on these people. And then who was amazed? Then Jesus was amazed. It wasn't just that the people were amazed. Jesus was amazed. Jesus is a different word here. It's called thaumatso. It's the same word translated amazed, but it's only used twice in the Gospels with Jesus. Once is because he was so amazed at the lack of faith here in Mark. And also later in Mark chapter 8, he is so amazed at the centurion's faith. So he was amazed that we have no faith or he's amazed at such a great faith. It's the two times the word is used with Jesus in the Gospels. And here Jesus is amazed at the hardness of their hearts. I'm amazed that when they said, listen to the question in, in the verse, who gives this man these things, this wisdom that has been given, that such miracles as these were performed by his hands? Folks, they weren't performed there. These are things they've been told. These are things they've heard. These are all the reputation that's coming with Jesus when he gets there. Because we're told he wasn't doing them there. And all of a sudden we realize he calls them out for what it is. You can circle it there at the last of verse 5. Jesus said, I'm astounded, I'm amazed, I'm thamazo at their unbelief. That for all they have stood for, they still don't truly believe. And maybe the Holy Spirit pokes your heart, your child's heart, your parents' heart. Because for all the church we've been in, for all the Bible studies we've been a part of, and for all the sermons we've listened to and missionaries we've supported, we find ourselves still in unbelief. Is this really what Jesus expects from me? 
Am I truly surrendered to him? Well, we know that only the Holy Spirit can do that. Only the Holy Spirit can invade our hearts, change our souls, bring about a repentance, a regeneration. We realize that. But this unbelief could not do anything of the miracles with them because of it. So this morning, I challenge you as we prepare to celebrate the Lord's Supper, what are you going to do until you believe? To live a life of unbelief when God's not able to work or Jesus is unable to perform or the Holy Spirit is not done. What do you do without prayer? What do you do without fellowship? What do you do without salvation? What do you do when you have no hope and no eternity? We're surrounded in a world of people who do not believe in Jesus. The country that used to be the largest in the world of sending out missionaries is now becoming the home to the most variety of missionaries of all countries. America has now become the mission field to share the gospel. We have more churches that are started by internationals, led by internationals, and those that are in America teaching in our churches that have come from other countries because America is losing its way. In a world of people who've had it right there in front of them, I'm sure Jesus had said many a times, I am so amazed of your unbelief. And so what happens? Nothing to do. We're embarrassed by him. It's scandalizing to us. Jesus is our time of worship on Sunday And then he's out of mind. The old saying, out of place, out of mind. Many churches write on their doors, you're now leaving the place of worship to go into the mission field. But for so many of us, this is the one time we share Jesus. Let me ask you, what miracle is Jesus doing in your life? Where is the Holy Spirit changing you? Where has God manifested himself in his relationship with you? Or have you missed the cornerstone because of all the carpentry that's going on? In a world of unbelief, we find ourselves confronted with the question of embarrassment. I can't imagine for those of us who are embarrassed of Jesus what it's going to be like in the presence of the Father when Jesus is embarrassed of us. For we're told in the many of scriptures that the day will come when every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. But more specifically, we're told 
in Luke chapter 12. Listen to this. I say to you that everyone who confesses me before men, the Son of Man will also confess him before the angels of God. But the one who denies me before people will be denied before the angels of God. I would be careful of just how embarrassed you might be of Jesus. It could bring about eternal consequences on the day you come before God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I do thank you that you've given us your son. I thank you for forgiving us of all the times that we have felt scandalized by your son, embarrassed, that it just wasn't the right time or place for us to be witnesses for him. Lord, he's the chief cornerstone, and his own family and friends stumbled upon him, over him, and rejected him. Help us not do the same. Help us not to get caught up in the thinkings and sayings of other people and miss the truths that you've told us in your own word. That if we'll confess you before men today, you will confess us before the Father in heaven. And we give you the praise and the glory for doing it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm going to invite you in just a minute to come as our servers would please come up to help us as we do the Lord's Supper. In just a moment, we'll sing together there in your bulletin so you can have that before you. But let me begin by saying if you're here visiting with us this morning and you've never been a part of the Lord's Supper, we ask that if you're not a Christian, if you've never made a profession of faith, if you have not confessed Christ, then we ask that you not take of the supper as it passes. The Bible makes that clear. I'll read some passages in just a moment. But if you are visiting with us and you're a Christian and you're active in a church somewhere else, you support the Bible and His truths and all that God has for us, well then we would encourage you to be a part to fellowship. It's not just for our church but also for those who are the children of God, wherever they may be. And so, uh, whoever you are, wherever you are, I encourage you to come. But let me begin in a word of prayer, and then we'll begin to pass out the elements. I ask that you'll take the bread, hold on to it, and so we pass, we can all take together in just a moment. We'll sing, and then I'll share a few things with us as we go. Heavenly Father, as we prepare to take, do forgive us. Forgive us for all that we have been so blinded by in this world of unbelief. And help us to see the truth and our need for you. In Jesus' name, amen. As they begin to pass things, go ahead if you'll take those too. If you guys will take those too, I'll help out in the other. Go ahead. As they're passing that out, they're going to begin. If you'll just take one, hold on to it, and in just a moment, we will share together. And in the meantime, you'll notice in your bulletin, we'll be singing together, There is a Redeemer as we begin passing that out.
1 Corinthians 11 says, For I received from the Lord, which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, he took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it. He said, This is my body, broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup of the new covenant. This is my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's take a moment and just pray together. Heavenly Father, as we take this morning of the bread, your body given for us, help us to see the importance of proclaiming his death until you come again. Help us, Lord, to be unashamed. For as Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of God. It is the power of God unto salvation to all who believe from the Jew and to the Gentile. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. He said, this is my body broken for you. As often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. See. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup. And so we're going to take two trays on each side. Go ahead. And we're going to begin to pass out the cup. If you would please take one and hold on to it until we can all take together. And in the meantime, we'll sing together there in your bulletin, Jesus Messiah. Sing with us.
or drinks of the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But a person must examine themselves, and in so doing, then eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For the one who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself if he does not properly recognize the body. For this reason, so many of you are weak and sick, numbered and asleep. But if we judged ourselves rightly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are disciplined by the Lord so that we will not be condemned along with the world. He took the cup and he said, this is my blood of the new covenant poured out for you. As often as you drink this, do this in remembrance of me. Heavenly Father, again, we commune with you because of you, because of your son, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross, has covered our sins, and has now opened the place for eternity for us to spend it with you. We give him the praise and glory in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would please stand with us as we sing together our closing hymn, hymn number 565, All for Jesus, 565. 